0: and welcome to Steminist Stories, a podcast celebrating some of the unsung women of science, technology, engineering and maths. I'm Reba, one of your hosts, a massive science nerd with a passion for engineering, space and sustainability.
1: And I'm Nell, an ex-parasitologist and outdoor enthusiast. And I'm Rachel,
2: producer and resident history nerd. Welcome to Steminist Stories. Welcome to another episode of Steminist Stories. Today we're looking at some historical women from technology as well as some more recent women. We're also excited to interview Harriet Hunt, a space nerd and former NASA intern.
0: There's some really sad but also interesting facts about the current state of women in tech. So in 2015, 11% of all executive positions in Silicon Valley were held by women. And there's a little quiz. Can you guys, Rachel and Nell, think of... Play along at home. Um, (laughs) What country do you think has the most women in tech? Um i say India Okay Ooh. interesting What kind of percent Do you think Out of the whole Tech workforce 30 So Rachel's gone 30 in India Nell's going Oh
1: god Oh that's I honestly don't know What to even suggest I mean I feel like It's not gonna be It's not gonna be England, Scotland No
0: um, <laughs> Australia Okay so you're gonna go Australia And what percentage Are you gonna go <laughs>
1: Like Oh 6% 6 <laughs> Okay
0: now, now the fact Seems a lot more positive So Rachel You're not far off so it's 30.3% of the tech workforce in Bulgaria Ah. also what's really interesting is obviously tech is such an emerging industry and field but in 2017 only 5% of tech startup founders are women which is depressing, it makes me think I don't know if
2: any of you have listened to the dropout it's really good, I'd highly recommend it it's all about this woman called Elizabeth Holmes who creates this tech startup in Silicon Valley. And what she does is she like mimics male CEOs. So she like starts dressing like she's Steve Jobs and wearing like this turtleneck. She purposefully lowers her voice and starts talking deeper apparently so she sounds more like a man. And then she like has
1: that same kind of I dropped out of Harvard but I'm actually like a genius thing that yeah it's definitely a vibe Mm. like when you imagine someone in Silicon Valley you just think of them in their scruffy clothes kicking about with a Red Bull and a coffee and like it's a vibe
2: yeah but she like adopts the male persona of like this tech genius so that she can get funding and all these things and then everyone was like oh she must be really good because she's like all these men Mm Mm-hmm. And
0: then it turns out to be terrible. (laughs) I mean, that's that's hilariously sad. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of research around the lack of venture capitalist funding for women. And the kind of sexism in that kind of industry.
1: Yeah, I think it's a case of, like, they're going to invest in who looks similar to them. Mm. Because they think, oh, if they look like me, I can trust them more. And then if you're not well represented, then you've got less of a chance, I feel.
0: Exactly. It's funny, though, because I think it's not, like... Have you read about that company, um, Pinky? Oh, yeah. The Pinky Glove company that got founded by some men in in Germany that just angers me. So basically, these men went to the bathroom and they have a female housemate. And in the in the bathroom bin there was like a wrapped up bloody tampon and they were so repulsed and disgusted by it they've created this product which is a glove that you put on to remove your tampon because that's what we all need not also plastic awful for the environment and they cost like a stupid amount and um they started marketing them like you know oh, it's uh it's really clean and also the glove is pink with the heart on it
1: oh well that i mean i'll have to buy one i'll have to buy one yeah. you
0: know and like yeah like women for millennia haven't just been okay yeah of
2: all the parts of a period the agony the like stress everything i'm i'm never like oh if i only had a glove to put on to remove my tampon that would fix all the issues not scientific
0: research into endometriosis oh no literally like there's there's articles that say things like pinky gloves a remarkable victory in germany it's going to it's going to revolutionize the industry and oh look they've got a nice diagram of how you put the glove on to remove your tampon It's innovative. Oh, for God's sake. Literally, they have a, like, part of their marketing is you don't have to come into contact with the blood. It's from us. (laughs) We're already in contact with it. (laughs) This is the issue, isn't it, of having everyone in tech and
2: in these sort of firms be men, because then they're like, they see something like this and they go and invest it. And then I think it's interesting today as we're going to be talking about a bunch of women who, from the early 20th century to the present day, who've been involved, but it's still very much a male-dominated field. I think of all all the fields we've talked about, this is probably
0: one of the worst in terms Percentages still, and in terms of like where power lies compared to some other STEM fields. I mean, according to TechCrunch, less than three percent of all venture capital investment went to women led companies in 2019. God, which is a whole level of depressing. But I think what's really interesting is throughout history how women have overcome that. Yeah, women have either used their own wealth or friendships with men or kind of played the game that they had to play to get their inventions to move forward. So, a great example of that is. The first woman we're going to talk about, Hedy Lamarr, who people might know as the Hollywood... Actress. She was apparently the most beautiful woman alive, was her marketing campaign. So she's really interesting. So she's born on the 9th of November, 1914, in Austria, and she acted in in a number of early films. And she acted in a Czech film when she was 18 called Ecstasy, which was kind of caused a big splash at the time because it was the first film to show the face of a woman as she orgasmed. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, Hedy had never had sex. She was a virgin. And they got her to do an orgasm face by pricking her with a pin. In the arm repeatedly. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna wild guess here that it was a male
2: director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this
0: is what a female orgasm is like. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like pain. <laughs> and anyway, the film was regarded as a very artistic work in Europe, but it was banned in the in the United States. Unsurprisingly that. Yeah. And it was banned in Nazi Germany not because it was lewd, but because Hedy is Jewish. So, at the age of 18, shortly after making that film, she married a wealthy Australian uh, ammunition manufacturer who was very controlling and actually spent over £300,000, equivalent in today's money, to destroy all the copies of the film that he could find. Wow. He didn't want anyone else seeing his wife enjoying herself. Getting pricked. <laughs> <laughs> Getting pricked. <laughs> <laughs> he then also locked her in a in a castle in Czechoslovakia. Oh my God, Rapunzel! Rapunzel! She, lit, she yeah. So she fled from this abusive marriage to Paris and then to London, and all she had was her jewelry. And when she went That's to London, insane. she met um, the head of studios in Hollywood, who was so taken with her that he decided to make her into a movie star. Um, and she starred in several films and became very very famous. However, uh, she didn't like that all the people in Hollywood were male, so she founded her own production company. That's mad, isn't it? Because I guess
2: in um, the forties and fifties there was like that massive studio culture in Hollywood where actresses were like owned by these studios and they had all the power and they were very against, especially women
0: stars, going and trying to be at all independent. Yeah, and I mean she was she was stateless before she went to America, so she's now got American citizenship from being a refugee. And yeah, she did these really interesting films called like Dishonored Lady in 1947 and the strange woman in 1946 that played with like social roles of women. They were very unwelcome by the Hollywood establishment who were against actors, any actors and especially females producing their own films. She also liked to, as she described, tinker with things. So she was good friends with uh, Howard Hughes, who obviously is the aviation tycoon. Um, And once at dinner party, she said that his airplanes looked rather square and she thought that, that this made them too slow. And he said, kind of as a joke, well, you can have a team of scientists and engineers and see what you can do. And so she went out and watched birds.
1: Oh, I love that. I'm not going to lie, that's always like such a boss way to learn is to literally just go out and look at nature and how do they do it. Exactly. I love when you hear about that, where they've, science has found something in nature and utilised it. Yeah,
0: so she based, changed the shape of his aeroplanes to make them more streamlined and, sl- and slope, based on pictures of the fastest birds and fish she could find, which is really cool. And then in the Second World War, she wanted to go and join the National Inventors' Council, and she was told that because of her fame and beauty she'd be better off selling war bonds, so she did that instead. But she became close friends with a composer called George Anthel, and together they developed a radio guidance system which uses frequency-hopping-spread-spectrum technology. That's a mouthful. <laughs> which improved aircraft aer- aerodynamic, but it was quite hard for them to get the Navy to adopt it. And in our days, that technology forms the basis for Bluetooth and legacy versions of Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. So she filed the patent which protected their invention... Um, so it's basically hopping like hopping frequencies um but because the invention was classified by the military because it was being used to fight the nazis um by the time that it became public the painting had expired so nor her nor her co-inventor ever saw a cent from the idea which is now obviously the basis for a multi-billion dollar industry which is mad like think how much money that
2: sh- her and like her family would have made from that invention if they'd like given her credit
0: yeah exactly and there's obviously
2: the thing of like war secrecy like you know you do have to keep some certain stuff under wraps but there's ways of doing that and keeping someone out with credit isn't there
0: but also you know she wasn't allowed to go and join the National Inventors Council because it was seen as oh it'd be better to sell your status and they made her go to these rallies where she'd like, you know, she'd kiss the person that uh, bid bid the highest and stuff like that. So she was helping the war effort, but it was very much through the way she looked, not yeah,
1: not her that's brain. So sad that that's the only thing she was taken for was aesthetically. Like, yet she could do so many things and and see so much. Like, honestly, that part about nature is really I love that because to be honest, I always love asking this question to my friends is, and it's to do with being streamlined if you were in a competition, like a javelin competition, but you could only throw a sea creature, what sea creature would it be?
0: Squid. A squid? 100%, didn't you have to think about it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know,
1: I'm trying to think of a swordfish. That's it. That's a good, because that's got a good weight to it. I feel like this squid would be a bit like flippy floppy, you know?
0: Like, no, because he can float through the air, like swim through the air like a squid. Also, squids are just so intelligent. Someone the other day said to me that my that I remind them of an of a octopus, and I didn't know whether to take that as a good thing or a bad thing. I'm going with it. But they you know. give you a reason, or...? They were just like, you have a very octopus energy. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, octopuses are very wily and
2: intelligent, and I would argue very good at multitasking, so 100% accomplished. Oh, you. Have you watched that My Octopus's Friend documentary?
0: No, but I think that's what I need to watch. So it's, Watch yeah. that and then just be positive about it. <laughs> Hedy has a lovely quote where she says, the brains of people are more interesting than their looks. I and it's think. so
1: true. She had a very,
0: very tremendous personal life. She was married like seven times and her seventh husband was her sixth marriage's divorce lawyer. Um, in the last decades of her life, she became a recluse and only communicated by telephone with the outside world. I know. Oh. So she's really, really that's interesting so woman. And she's, t- I mean, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. But all she
1: was thought about was her looks.
0: And that's what, but that's what I really like about her is like, she's this Hollywood heartthrob and she's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but she also helped found the technology for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And I think so often in life in general, people are tried to put in boxes. She's literally put in a tower. Yeah, I mean, but it's like we were saying earlier, that idea of, you know, a Silicon Valley startup CEO has a turtleneck and is male and is a Harvard dropout. People box people a lot. and I think they especially box minorities and women. And actually, It's, we need more examples of women that can do two things that are in our heads opposing, you know, people that are ballerinas and astronauts and film stars and inventors. Yeah, because I mean, she just looked at a plane design
2: and went, that looks a bit too square, that's probably an issue. And then came up with a design which is arguably the basis of modern airplanes still. Like she changed its shape and then that's still used today. Mm. Because she was just like, oh, I think it's a bit too square. I'm just going to go look at nature like a sensible person which no one
0: else had apparently done. And, you know, it's, it's great that she had the ear of Howard Hughes to do that too,
1: but she had that because she was in the room being a gorgeous film star. I see. It's kind of like her prettiness opened doors, in a sense, but also held her back.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, that it's, you know, there's loads of examples in history of women not fitting into one box, and actually we shouldn't really have those boxes at all. And also those boxes are so, so societal. You know, like we were talking about the idea that you couldn't be a wife and a professional. And he certainly couldn't be a mother and a scientist.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Like, back then, it was such an absurd idea to be the two. Which is, um, the second one we're going to talk about is uh, Dame
2: Stephanie Shirley. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about her. Little background context. She started a tech company in 1962. But before then, she had been a um, refugee from Germany in the war. So she'd been part of the kinder transport. And she credits being a refugee and being accepted into this country as, like, as making her the person she is. She's done this brilliant TED talk, which is called Why Successful Women Have Flat Heads." Love it. Which I would 100% recommend. It's brilliant. But in it, she talks about the fact that she's written this memoir. And they don't know how to market her memoir because she's, like, a philanthropist now. But she also was a tech startup CEO and a child refugee. A child refugee. And she's got all these parts to her. And then she's like, well, I'm just all of those things. And, like, mm. successful women are all these things you don't have to be. It's not like she's a philanthropist, so she can't have been anything else important. But I think the thing I love most about her is that so she started this company in 1962. It was a tech company, like making software, which for the time was quite rare. Like mostly people made hardware and sold software just as part of that. Like this company worked on loads of high profile things like Concords, black blocks, flight recordings, it created this management system that was then ended up being used by NATO and it became like a billion dollar company. But she started it in 1962 on her kitchen table with six pound investment. Whoa. And purposefully made it so that it was just, it was a female run company with female staff. So of 300 employees, three men were on the staff. Wow! She, in the 60s, supported women to work from home. So in job interviews, she talks about her in job interviews, she just asked them, do they have access to a telephone? And I was like, you can work from home if you have access to a telephone. God, she's well ahead of her time. Job sharing, part-time working, was like leading women to get back into work having after having children, which was like a thing that's completely not done then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's taken pretty much until covid for people yeah home working for women to be seen as like a potentially like normalized thing and she was doing this 60, 70 years ago. It's a sad thing. And She's known partly as Steve and that is because when she started up, she started signing all her letters as Steve Shirley instead of Stephanie Shirley so that she would get into the room and get meetings so they think they were meeting a man. That's...
1: There's still stuff like that going on today. Like there's a study where they put non-gender specific names like Ashley or Ash and stuff and saw the rates of uptake of the CVs. There was a difference, sadly.
2: Yeah, they've done it um, especially with um, names that sound like they belong to ethnic minorities and white sounding names and the differences are just so extreme. It was like, if you have a white sounding name, you're like 10 times more likely to get an interview with the same or like a less qualified CV than if yeah. your name sounds like you might be black,
0: which is just such blatant discrimination. It's so, it's so interesting though, isn't it? She's such a cool woman and I love the way she talks. She's got a really great sense of humour. One of the TED talks that I watch is called uh, Why
2: Women Have Flat Heads. And she says in it that um, ambitious women's heads are flat on top from being patted patronisingly repeatedly. which is just brilliant it's so cool oh it's the funniest i think it's one of the funniest ted talks i've watched actually she's just so interesting she was talking about how like she wouldn't get credit because she was women so that when she started the company all these men were like oh it's going to be nothing you know you're a woman why would a woman make a software company no one's going to buy anything from you and then when it started doing well they were like oh well you're doing well but you're never going to be a big company and then when it became like a really successful like billion dollar company she says that when the company was valued at over three billion dollars and I'd made over 70 of the staff into millionaires they said oh well done Steve (laughs) as in like kind of assuming there was like a man behind the curtain who'd led to the success rather than it being her
1: yeah
2: like every stage of the way she was discounted
1: well she proved everyone wrong like that is absolutely class and then she's just also just such a
2: cool woman like became like a billionaire for making this really impressive company and then instead of like hoarding her wealth she's like set up all these charities and created like schools for kids with autism and like when she retired she didn't just stop she just became a full-time philanthropist basically at every stage of her career she didn't go oh I've become successful let me shut the door behind me she
1: sort of was pulling these people up with them yeah absolute legend I feel like that's what you should do as well I think that's the way we can keep moving forward is as you said keeping that door open not closing it because the more that we have up there the better
2: yeah because I think when we're talking about the statistics how many women in tech there are I think one of the most important ways of fixing that is obviously it needs to be men hiring women but it also needs to be like the very small minority of women who do get that high need to pull women up with them because it's like if we wait for men to pull us up that's just never that's clearly never gonna happen
0: i was gonna say she's done a lot of really cool stuff with like autism and autism awareness and autism charities as well her philanthropy is really interesting like the way she goes about it she's a lot of like grassroots stuff
2: yeah definitely she she was talking about the autism stuff and she was saying that because she had to go through these services and use them herself just every time there was a gap she just filled the gap and kind of shows a lot about her character that she just every time she saw a problem she just fixed it like women can't work without with children because of childcare so women can work from home and work part-time and just trust your employees to do that at every stage she just sort of came up with these attitudes of just being like well we'll just work around it to make sure
0: and also understanding that most people are conscientious i think there's something quite toxic about the culture of like employees will only work if you're standing over them threatening them and watching them i love that this software company just was completely started and run by women at home who were also you know, in the 50s and 60s, probably doing the majority of the domestic caring and housework and responsibility as well. And just, you know, writing code with a pencil and paper in their spare time, and then sending that off to be punched into paper to then be turned into code. It's really cool. A really interesting fact about it is, so obviously when she started her company, it was
2: entirely women. And then the the Sex Discrimination Act came in, which is an act designed to stop women being discriminated against in the workplace and saying that you can't not hire someone based on their gender. But because of this act, she was no longer allowed to only hire women because she couldn't not hire men. (laughs) The law of unintended consequences. It's like the only female-led tech company suddenly had to start hiring men.
0: Thing is, I think we do, you know, like we do need diversity and we do need both. I think it's so interesting just that in her TED Talk, Steve says that when she started her company, she couldn't drive a bus or a plane or open her own bank account because she was a woman. Oh, that hurt. And then we say like, why aren't there more women companies? It's like, mm. 5% 5% yeah. of startups now, like 5% not that bad if we consider that in her lifetime she literally couldn't open a bank account, we are getting there, slowly but surely guys, slowly but surely. Hopefully starting to get faster, maybe. Yeah, everything speeds up, we'll get, we'll get momentum as we roll down the hill, it'll be fine, I mean there's some really cool women currently working in tech.
1: Yeah, I have one, um, she's fantastic, she's called Jasmine Crow, um, and she's fighting hunger with technology. Which is quite cool. So, she's based in America, and the stats are that American consumers waste 133 billion pounds of food every year. What? I know. And that's a big waste. And not only is that a waste in terms of like, you've got that in landfills, contributing to methane emissions, but also like, all that food could have been feeding families. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time in the discount aisle in Morrisons and it's crazy when you see how much can potentially get like tucked out and, and all that waste of, of food. So yeah, I mean,
2: I remember when I was a teenager and we used to get drunk, there was like a little local supermarket and you know, it's like every day they had freshly baked pastries. So you used the bin off all the ones they didn't sell.
1: Oh, it pains me, honestly.
2: And we used to be like hammered 16 year olds and go vi- home via the bins and get these bin bags out and like eat the pastries. <laughs> Which I know maybe isn't the best way of going about saving food waste.
1: But then they started putting locks on the bins so that we didn't. And it's like, well... That just doesn't make sense to me. It just genuinely doesn't make sense to me. Like, if you're throwing it out Oh, no, don't even... Anyway, this is why Jasmine's fantastic, because she must have felt the same way. I think she saw a couple of people firsthand, like suffering from food insecurity and stuff and decided she wanted to do something about it. Um, But it's really cool because she did combine business and technology and stuff to make a difference. It's like a management platform that reduces food waste by getting in contact with different businesses, tracking how much food they're wasting, which kind of relates to how much money they're probably losing because of the wastage. But also delivering that food wastage to areas that need it so different communities um that might need some extra food and she kind of made using it's called blockchain technology so blockchain is a kind of database
0: and it allows you to transfer information without it being edited yeah so the most important part
2: of blockchain is basically that it's operated as a ledger so it's not got like one centralised database which someone can go in and edit but rather it's like stuff gets added to it as you go. It's a really exciting technology so it's what Bitcoin is based on so this idea that the reason that Bitcoin is secure is because it's not hackable properly so instead of, um, you, go, you can't go and hack a central database you'd have to go and hack every single block going back up the chain like historically. So it's really cool that she's using that to do food poverty.
1: Yeah, that's that's what she's doing and it's just so cool because her business model has this win-win-win situation because she's like improving the businesses tax deductions because they're aware of what they're wasting and they can like write it off and stuff like that but she's also reducing the greenhouse emissions from landfills and using that edible food that would have otherwise been thrown out and um, to reduce hunger so it's like it's absolutely incredible what she's doing. Um, and she really kind of stresses that she doesn't believe that hunger's a scarcity issue. It's more a logistical one. So she's come up with absolutely. this new way of using technology to combat it. Um, but when you were mentioning before as well about venture capitalists, yeah, yeah, whether they will invest or not, she faced a lot of discrimination as a black woman. One thing that I was like, oh gosh, it really hurt me to, to read was she went to get investment and one of the venture capitalists said um oh we just invested in another black female founder last year so i don't think we'll do another deal until later this year god that's outrageous isn't it absolutely shocking i mean lucky for whoever said that she did not she was tweeting about this and she didn't disclose who it was but she was just as you would be absolutely raging like you, you wouldn't hear that oh we just invested in a white female founder oh maybe or a white male founder um will invest in a couple of years and i think it's one of the big issues about having women progress in
0: tech is this idea of like diversity being well we've got one of them Oh, i know like a token like it's the box tick though isn't it it's like oh well you fit in the box of black woman therefore i've got that
1: box ticked now but to be like yeah maybe in another year like that's disgusting that's honestly gross
2: yeah when it's like how many male or Apps that they invested in, and in like, don't even bat an eyelid. Twenty-five guys named Chad
0: who <laughs> <laughs> not reached our Harvard male privilege quota. No, but um, it's really interesting as well, isn't it? Though using tech to solve a social problem, mm-hmm. I think there is an argument for more diversity in STEM subjects. Would look at linking tech and kind of STEM things to social issues more because you have more awareness. You don't know what you don't know, so you need more people who have a diversity of human experience that can come in and be like, oh, actually, we could just apply this here and it would solve that issue.
1: Like I think about what I learned about tech and social issues. So social issues, I think I learned a bit in geography about like overpopulation and then tech, I use Scratch to make a game, and that is about it. Mm. That's all of
0: my. It's that thing, though. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, overpopulation is why people go hungry. And it's like the earth produces enough for everyone to eat what they need to eat. It's not an overpopulation issue, it's a resource management issue.
1: Yeah, and especially in America. Yeah. Because I mean, I always get really excited. I go in the supermarket, and I think it was yesterday I saw some like smoothie called Flawless. They use like the ugly, flawed fruit to make their smoothies and they and it says on the front like oh you saved six strawberries and a banana or something like that like I think we are trying to get better at not just throwing stuff out but the fact that people will throw out food and lock bins to prevent people from eating it is uh it's crazy to me.
0: It's great because wherever there's an opportunity, like wherever there's waste, there is room for tech. Like, I was reading about this really cool woman who is a um, entrepreneur, Nazambi Mati, and she basically has made bricks out of all the plastic waste that they keep having washed up on their shores. And these bricks are stronger than co- concrete.
1: Whoa!
0: And she's using them to make houses, and obviously because they're plastic, they're so strong they don't like biodegrade. They're great in like the various weather seasons. They last for way longer than the concrete, and so the poorer people in her community can afford to have like houses that keep them warm and keep them dry, where they could never with the concrete. So people are getting shelter and housing from a waste product. That's
1: fabulous. That's absolutely incredible. I
2: think yeah. that having um, women. But especially like women of colour and people who of working class background in depth because I mean like the whole harvard dropout stereotype thing is like most people who go to harvard or a significant majority of people who go to harvard in those types of ivy league universities and russell group universities here are privately educated and are wealthy and have all these things going for them that means that they've probably not been as exposed to like people who aren't the same as them and also like social issues like and then they go and make these tech companies which are addressing
1: how to get a six-pack
2: when we were talking about medicine it's like viagra getting invented but stuff to fix like period pains don't get invent Mm.
0: invented yeah it's the focus i think there's there's loads of hope though there's a lovely quote by steve where she says tomorrow is never going to be like today and certainly nothing like yesterday i think for women in tech that's a really good thing
1: oh what a lovely quote and on that positive note we are out of this world excited and over the moon to interview Harriet Hunt, former NASA intern and space system engineer. So we're joined by
0: Harriet Hunt. Thank you so much for joining us. Harriet is a massive fellow space nerd, which is lovely to talk to you. And do you want to tell us a bit about what drew you to that
3: area? Yeah, so right now I'm uh, interning at Northrop Grumman as a space systems engineer and I'm a 2021 Brooke Owens Fellow, which is a great international fellowship for women and gender minorities interested in aerospace. And uh, in the past, I've worked at NASA and Collins Aerospace as well. That's so cool.
0: Do you ever like, I've worked at NASA, that's really
3: cool. <laughs> it is a, a little bit of a flex. <laughs>
0: yeah, Definitely. So
3: what made you go into aerospace engineering? Well, I kind of I knew I wanted to do engineering when I was a kid. Uh, both my parents studied engineering in Australia, which is where I call home. So my dad bought me my first telescope and my grandparents used to send me all these Australian space magazines. So I always loved the astronomy side. And then uh, when mm-hmm. I was in high school, I took my first engineering class and I loved it I loved building and working with my hands and being creative so then I went to an aerospace camp <laughs> to combine my love for astronomy and engineering and I fell in love with this it was the perfect fit for me
0: that is that's so cool I think it's really important to have like people behind you are supporting it and driving it so how old were
3: you when you got your first telescope I think I was 13 that sounds about right do you still have it I do, yeah. I haven't been able to use it though. It's hard to transport, so I don't bring it with me to university. But I miss it. Does it
0: have a name? I feel like I would name it if it was something.
3: I I have not named it actually.
0: (laughs) There you go. Something to come out of this interview. (laughs) What advice would you offer to others looking to go into that industry? Because it's very like minority women, right? Like even more in aerospace and other engineering disciplines.
3: Well, definitely for girls. I always say don't be afraid I always like to say if you're considering STEM then you just have to never give up on your passions and I mean that goes for everyone but even if you're the only girl in a STEM club or the only girl in an engineering class it's easy to let that get you down or make you feel uncomfortable but that just makes you that much more valuable so you can never let those feelings or self-doubt take over you Mm,
0: that's that's really good So why do you think women are the minority in STEM?
3: You know, I think that part of it is historically there haven't been many women and That just kind of keeps the cycle going. So, you know, when uh, it's like bring your kid to work day or you're talking about what your parents do and you're in elementary school and uh, there's not a lot of girls whose moms are engineers and, you know, maybe their dads are engineers, but it's difficult when there's less people to look up to, then there's going to be less girls that are encouraged and it just keeps repeating and repeating. And I think that a lot of times, too, part of the issue is that when women do go into engineering, a lot of them actually leave the field after they graduate. So they'll get the degree, but then they go into industry and it's uncomfortable because there aren't many women in the workplace and some of them leave because they just frankly aren't happy. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: I think that's why it's so important to like tell the stories of women that have contributed to engineering and that have done things in spite of all these barriers, because it's kind of showing that it can be done is what hopefully you'll get more girls that think they can do it and then it breaks that cycle.
3: Yeah. I definitely think educational outreach, especially to young girls like elementary school, K through 12, is really important, especially when they're really young to incite those feelings like, hey, this is really cool and you can totally do it. Yeah.
0: And to not make it seem boring. I I hate when they make engineering and maths and science seem dull like it's such a creative subject it's literally making stuff like why are we teaching it like it's this dull yeah. thing oh my gosh yeah I totally feel you And um, what are the biggest challenges you feel you face as a woman in STEM
3: in the classroom environment there are definitely times when it's really uncomfortable or like just Sad to hear some of the things people say. So I've heard, oh, you only got that interview because you're a girl, and it's honestly just like jarring to know that people actually think that. And when they see you, oh, um, you're a diversity hire instead of oh, you've accomplished all this, which is is just very frustrating. And in the workplace, so I worked as a software engineer for two summers, and um, and that's what I did at NASA. And it is just really not fun to be one of like. A couple girls on a team all the interns you meet are guys mostly and it's just difficult you feel alone and even the other day last week I was in a meeting and there were 27 men and three girls including me and it's just it, it's so weird to think that it's it really is like the gender gap is so real <laughs> and you see it
0: I feel like if it's there every day it's just like ugh.
3: Yeah, but you get really close to the girls who you do work with, always like a nice family to have those people that you connect with and you can share that in common. Yeah, definitely.
0: Who are your biggest STEM heroes or like your kind of STEM inspiration, if you have any?
3: Well, right now, so through the Brooke Owens Fellowship, um, I get paired up with a mentor and mine is uh, the Deputy Administrator of NASA, Pamela Melroy. And she is amazing. And she has been encouraging me so much. We've been uh, this summer, I'm applying PhD programs. So she's been there every month we meet. And uh, she tells me, you know, to never give up. And uh, she is like my biggest fan for my PhD applications right now, which is really amazing. And it's, it's really scary to apply to PhD programs, because I never thought I would go to grad school. And so to have you know, the deputy administrator of NASA supporting you is just, like, unreal. That is so cool. What are you hoping to do your PhD in? So space systems is generally the, the basic idea. I'm looking into kind of satellite design and mission operations topics.
0: <laughs> just on a personal note, what was NASA like?
3: <laughs> Honestly, I, like, I can't lie. It was a truly amazing experience. I saw so many cool things. Yeah. Um, it was my first internship too. And now I feel like nothing can compare, honestly, working at a NASA site and working, it was on an army base. I just saw so many like awesome things. I went on board the Pegasus barge, which is the barge that transports all the rocket pieces back and forth between NASA centers, which was like really exciting. Cause usually, I mean, it just happened to be there when I was interning cause it was transporting some liquid oxygen tanks mm-hmm. and Oh my gosh, just the people you meet are really awesome too. Everyone at NASA is super passionate. And I really love that about aerospace. Like people who are doing aerospace really love aerospace. And I feel like that's unique to the field. You know, you can meet software engineers who don't really care what they're doing, but Mm -hmm. everyone in the aerospace industry is like in it because they're a space nerd, really. And I love that. They're all just
0: geeking out with each other. It's great. (laughs)
3: yeah um so finally
0: what are your hopes for the future both in terms of your own career and in terms of like more equality in STEM in general
3: personally my goals I mean getting the PhD is the main focus right now that's probably going to be my (laughs) goal for uh quite a few years now but um in the field I think we're getting better I think there are more girls you know joining every year I feel like, especially at my own school, I feel like every year, there are more girls in the next class, like incoming students, which is really great. And I mean, obviously, I hope we can close that gap. I hope to be like a mentor like Pamela Melroy is to me so that You know, girls can look up to me because Mm. that means a lot to me and encouraging and educating kids, something that I really enjoy. And I think is super, super essential. Definitely.
0: I think it's nice to have those, like, you know, that kind of we lift by rising others things, you know, when you've got there, like giving someone else a leg up and then hopefully that has a positive multiplier effect and more and more people get into it. That sounds so cool. Your PhD sounds amazing.
3: Hopefully, uh, I have to get into the programs first. But honestly, it's super interesting. It's so crazy to think that I could be studying that. of things like it's unreal (laughs) what do
0: you think in terms of like in terms of space tech for the future what do you think are going to be the big headlines?
3: Oh, man. I know, it's a huge question, like space Honestly, tourism. There, I mean, uh, yeah, definitely space tourism. Another thing that I've been really looking into lately is like space debris cleanup and uh, making autonomous robotic systems that uh, can, like satellites that go up there and clean up old debris or other satellites. And there are so many challenges with that, but it's really important. And I hope that that's something that people will collectively work towards. Soon. It's kind of starting up now, but there's less policy in place than there should be um to address those challenges. So I think when they start
0: crashing into satellites and making yeah. things that are expensive, suddenly there'll be an interest.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's bound to happen again soon.
0: that's really interesting though. That's so cool. And like I think the whole kind of green, green, clean space is a really interesting kind of part of it to be involved in.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank
1: you so much to Harriet Hunt and all the amazing women in tech. In the past, now and in the future. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, raise your sisters. See you next week for more Steminist Stories. Ooh.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Steminist Stories. Tune in next week where we'll be listening to more amazing stories from women in STEM. And don't forget to follow us on all our social media channels. Thank you to everyone from our behind-the-scenes team that makes Steminist Stories possible.